Lord, you are so gracious to meet with us already. You're good to us in ways that we don't even know or aware of or maybe sometimes acknowledge. Your love has been poured out towards us lavishly in Christ. Your grace has come to us with no end. And you have spoken with us and you invite us and you direct us. Sometimes you rebuke us. So Lord, as you speak now through your word to us, Lord, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. Equip us through your word. Conform us to the image of Jesus through your word. Take my faltering words and do what only you can do in the hearts of men and women. By your spirit we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, reading from verse 14 down to the end of the chapter. From the Christian Standard Bible says this. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I've sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? That's God's word. Why don't you take a seat? Back before Easter, when we were going through our series in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, The passage prior to this, uh, verses 6 down to verse 13, uh, we dealt with just just prior to Easter, just prior to when I got COVID and Tim stepped in at very short notice. Thanks, brother. Um, If you went back and and listened to the, the sermon before Easter, in 1 Corinthians, you will notice that I glossed over a small block of verses, from verses about 8 down to about verse 13. We referenced them, but didn't really look at them in much detail. Uh, Don't be too concerned, we're going to look at them a little bit more today, just in way of reference, because these form the backdrop to the passage that we're looking at today. We've had a a little bit of a break now, just prior to Easter and um, over the the Easter break. And you can see that Paul refers back to what he's just been saying as a way of clarifying his intentions towards the church in Corinth. 
And that's important for us to firstly notice, but secondly, I think, hold on to, because it gives us an important context for what I think is Paul's main point from what we've just read together today. So verse 14, I want you to put your eyes back onto your text and actually look at it, because Paul says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. See, he's referencing what he's just been talking about and also sort of foreshadowing a little bit about what he's going to say. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you. And then he clarifies that as my dear children. I think we'll, we'll look at it a little bit more closely later on, but I just want you to take note of the fact that Paul views this church in Corinth as dysfunctional as it is, all right? These are his kids. These are his children in Christ. They're his spiritual children, and he writes to warn them, but not shame them. Now, good news is I just have one point for this sermon, all right? One point. But to be fair, it does have three implications, all right? So, um, after, after the implications, we're going to also then do two contrasts. But there is just one point, all right? So, hold on to that. Let's get to the big idea. What is the big idea of this passage? We need leaders who are more like fathers and less like instructors, right? That's, that's what I think Paul's driving at here. It's what, what I want us to walk away with. If you forget the three implications and the two contrasts, can you please try and hold on to this one? We need leaders who are more like fathers and less like instructors. I'm not making that up. I'm going to take that from verse 15. So have a look at it. Paul has just said, I don't want to, I don't want to shame you by what I've said. I do want to warn you and I view you as my spiritual children. And then he makes this statement in verse 15. For you have... Or you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul looks at this church, the church in Corinth, and he makes an observation about it. He says, listen, you've got so many people who are instructors in your life, but you don't have many fathers. We need leaders who are more like fathers and less like instructors. I think this distinction, the one that Paul makes between instructors and fathers, is what I really want to focus on today. Most importantly, because that's where I believe Paul places his focus in this text. But secondly, because... I truly believe that we need to desperately pursue what Paul is talking about in this text. 
So I've got a couple of things that I want to clear up from this verse before we tease out the three implications, okay? First one is this, just a general statement about the term father. I just want to acknowledge that not everybody has had or even currently has a healthy relationship with their dad. And that the idea of God being a father or of Paul being a spiritual father, that can be a trigger for some legitimate trauma in your life. I in no way want to dismiss or minimise that reality. I do, however, want to highlight that when the Bible speaks with this type of language, it does so with the ideal in mind. In other words, with what healthy and life-giving father figures should be. Second thing I want to clarify is that Paul's role as a spiritual father is deeply connected to the gospel that he preached and the actual relationship that he had with the people in Corinth. He's not using the word as a title. You might hear it. Maybe you've had some background in, in certain church or denominations where they use that term father so-and-so or father or maybe you've seen it in a movie uh, someone who, who might walk into a confessional box or something and say you know father forgive me or it's not a title that Paul's using it's a relationship it's a description of his functional relationship with this church Paul had literally led these people to Christ as he ministered among them with the gospel. He discipled them in the truths of the gospel. He had mentored them in what it looks like to walk in the power of the gospel. He was their spiritual father and he says, through the gospel. So when you hear the word father, don't think authoritarian respect. You're the boss, you're the father figure, you're the authoritarian in this relationship. So don't think that. Instead, think relational closeness. Paul is speaking to his church in Corinth and he's saying, you are my children. I don't want to shame you, but I do want to warn you. All right? They're the the things I wanted to clarify. Our big idea was what? We need leaders who are more like fathers and less like instructors. I told you I had three implications. Let's jump into them. First implication is this. If you are a disciple trying to follow Jesus on the narrow way, Look for a spiritual father. All right? If you are a disciple here this morning and you are, you are desperately wanting to, you are desperately desiring to, you are yearning to follow Jesus on the narrow way, then you need to look for a spiritual father. 
Now, with deep care and deep caution, let me suggest adding something to what Paul says here. I don't think it departs from his intent, so I, I hope I'm not meddling too much with God's Word here. But just as much as we need spiritual fathers, I'm convinced that we all need spiritual mothers as well. All right? I think when Paul uses the word father here, it is the idea of parental, not so much necessarily a gender-specific thing. But we need desperately fathers, spiritual fathers in our life. We desperately need spiritual mothers in our walk as disciples of Jesus. And hear me, I don't mean that men go look for spiritual fathers and women go look for spiritual mothers. Men, you need spiritual mothers in your life. And women, you need spiritual fathers in your life. Men, you need spiritual fathers in your life. Women, you need spiritual fathers in your life also. We all need the unique gifts and strengths that are distinct to each gender. But the overall point remains the same. There's sometimes a vague notion that we hear today, frequently actually, that says something like this. I'm a disciple of Jesus, so I'm just going to follow Jesus and I don't need anybody else in my Christian life. That statement is completely foreign to biblical Christianity. You won't find it anywhere in the Bible. Solo discipleship is dangerous for your faith. We need brothers and sisters. That terminology is not unusual in our ears. It's not something that's new to us. I don't think if you've been coming along to this church for a while, you will have heard that term. We need brothers and sisters walking alongside of us, but, but more than that, we need fathers and mothers who walk alongside of us. So the implication one was this, if you are a disciple trying to follow Jesus on the narrow way, look for a spiritual father and mother. Second implication... If God has called you to lead others on this narrow way, then show the way. Don't just point the way. All right? If God has called you to lead others on this narrow road, show the way. Don't just point the way. And I'm not just speaking to those in this room who are called to be shepherds in this church, including myself. I'm speaking to each one of us. All of us have been called by God to, in some way, in some influence, help and lead others. Maybe it's in a formal capacity, maybe it's in an informal relational capacity, but all of us have been called to influence other disciples as they follow after Jesus. In a minute, we're going to highlight a number of other ways that I think fathers differ from instructors. That's where we're going to get to the contrast in a little while. But, but this is one of the primary ways. 
a father will show the way, while an instructor will point the way. Fathers are willing to step in beside you on the narrow way and say, hey, I know this is difficult, so let's walk together for a while. A father will help carry the load for a bit on the steepest of hills. And they'll cheer you on, and not just from the sideline. I remember when I was a kid playing footy, um, rugby league, and where I grew up in Queensland, that was the only footy. (laughs) And um, my dad and my mum would come and watch some of my games. And um, look, to tell you the truth, when, when I was a kid, that was not always an exciting prospect. They'd say, we're going to come and listen, we're going to come watch your game this afternoon. Oh, it's great. <laughs> my dad used to be a, a coach for a football team, and my mum knows nothing about football except that you're supposed to be running that way and no one should hurt my son. (laughs) And sometimes, especially for my mum, she had to be reminded, you have to stay on the sideline. All right? My mum has broken chairs during... during, Sorry, mum, if you're listening. Um... Not, not at a real-life game. This is during, like, you know, State of Origin or something. My mum gets pretty excited. Really? Awesome. But fathers in real life don't just cheer on from the sideline. They'll step over the line and they'll walk into your life. And they'll say, I want to walk with you. I want to cheer you on. I want to be right by your shoulders as you experience victory and defeats. An instructor, on the other hand, is more than likely going to give you some helpful information about the path ahead and then say, all the best with that. Some instructors are rule experts. They know the rules, right? And they're quick to let you know when you've broken them. Some instructors are just turning up for the paycheck. But whatever the case, instructors aren't invested. It's their job. They don't have skin in the game, as the old saying goes. It's not their kid out there on the course. It's just their job. So if God has called you to lead others, to influence others on the narrow road of discipleship, then I want you to show the way and not just point the way. Third implication. We easily forget all of this. And we are in constant need of the consistent reminder from gospel-shaped people in our lives. Have a look at verse 17. 
1 Corinthians 4 and 17. Paul has just said, you're my spiritual children. And he says, this is why I've sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Look, Paul's written the letter. He sat down and he wrote this church a letter. And in it, he's going to highlight some things that they were getting very muddled up, and he wants to point them back to Jesus, but the letter wasn't enough. He said, I'm going to send Timothy as well. Why? Because Timothy's going to sit with you. He's not just going to read a letter out from the front. Paul said it. You all do it. Now he said, I'm going to send Timothy with you because Timothy is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord, just as you are. And he's going to remind you. And what's he going to remind you of? What I told you? No. I'm sure that was part of it. But what does Paul say? He's going to remind you about my ways. About how I lived. About the way that I walked. The way that I engaged. The way that I loved. The way that I corrected. Timothy's going to remind you of these things. I think if Paul was just an instructor, he would have been content with just a letter. All right? Shape up, Corinthians. But he wasn't. Paul was a father. And so he wasn't content with just words on a parchment. He wanted a personal experience for the church in Corinth. Paul knew that being a parent is a role that consists largely of the constant gentle reminders that shape our kids over time. And because he couldn't be there himself, he sent Timothy. It's true, isn't it, that the grace of God shouldn't be easy to forget. But so often we do. One of the reasons why as a church we are committed to saying this, the table, we're going to do this every time we get together as a church. Why? Because we need it. Because we're so forgetful. Because the world is so loud. And our ears are so easily tuned to it that we need the reminder, the gentle, consistent reminder, God's grace is enough. The sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient and we need that reminder from here and we need that reminder from here. The way that we sing with each other, not just because we like that song, but because our songs rehearse the truths of the gospel and we're telling each other. The way that we pray with each other, the way that in your workforce you can pray for another Christian and say, let's schedule a 15-minute meeting. (laughs) Who are we meeting with? (laughs) King of kings, right? The way that you can catch up for a conversation over a cup of coffee with someone. We desperately need consistent, gospel-shaped people speaking into our life. Every day, 
that message of hope and grace and love slips between the cracks of our schedules or between the goals that we pursue, between the sin that we entertain, all right, we desperately need reminding of grace. Books are good. I love them. Books are great. Podcasts are helpful. Playlists from gospel-rich artists who sing these truths are worthwhile, but I can tell you it's people that we need. It's people. We need gospel-shaped people to consistently remind us what grace produces around a a dinner table, around a, a workplace or in the lunchroom or in the playground or in the sporting arena. We need people to remind us. Reminders from flesh and blood people of what gospel-induced confession might look like or what genuine repentance looks like, what restoration looks like. Right? Because we so easily forget all this. That's the third implication. And we are in constant need of consistent reminders from gospel-shaped people in our lives. All right, one big idea, three implications, now the two contrasts. <laughs> Let's pit fathers versus instructors against each other for a moment. How, how should you know what to look for? What are the characteristics of each that we need to be aware of? Well, I've tried to go through this text and the the passage that just went before it, where Paul had sort of said, hey, I'm not writing this to shame you. I think that we're going to get some clues here. So let's take instructors first. Let's take instructors first. A couple of bullet points, we're going to go through them pretty quickly. First one is this. Instructors lead from a distance and they won't share their life with you. I've taken that mostly from contrasting what we've seen of the text so far. Paul's desire to get close and personal. Instructors don't have that. They lead from a distance and they won't share their life with you. Second thing that you could notice about an instructor is that they often lead by coercion rather than character. Leaders or instructors who lead this way will tell you what you must do Uh, why you should do it, what will happen if you don't do it. And their leadership is often by coercion rather than character. You'll often find that an instructor has an attitude that they have earned their spot at the top. If you go back into 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, the passage that we looked at a few weeks ago, Paul makes some sort of sarcastic, I think, sarcastic statements about the church in Corinth. Verse 7, he says, what makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast 
as if you hadn't received it. All right? Basically, in the context of what he's been talking about, there's this sense where the, the church in Corinth, these, I think, instructors that were there, have an attitude that they earned their way to the top. They've completely misunderstood the sort of leadership that Jesus talks about when he says, the first shall be last. If you want to be great in the kingdom, serve your brothers. An instructor misses that. Who makes you so superior? Paul asked them. What do you have that you didn't receive? Next thing that we can notice about an instructor is that they are hesitant to look outside of themselves, believing that they are self-sufficient. Verse 8, you are already full, you are already rich, you have begun to reign as kings without us, and I wish you did reign, so that we could reign with you. Again, Paul's sarcastic dig at them, I think, listen, you think that you've got everything that you already need, you're self-sufficient. Instructors are like that. And instructors in the way that Paul talks about it. The next thing that you'll notice about instructors is that they are confident in their own wisdom and strength. And they pursue honour as their highest goal. Verses 9 and verse 10 of chapter 4 say this, For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place, like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonoured. Paul's making the observation about these instructors there the things that they desire, the things that they chase after. Their highest goal is their own honour, that their wisdom is self-sufficient. That's an instructor. And if we, disciples on the, the narrow way, we need fathers, right? Not instructors. So what does a father look like? First thing we mentioned earlier, fathers don't aim to shame, but they will warn. Right? Remember what we, Paul said in verse 14? I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you. Paul sees his relationship with his children and there's things that have to be said. Right? There has to be, there has to be the conversation if you're a parent here, of any time at all, you will know that there are times when you sit there and you think, man, we're going to have to have that conversation. It's going to be a hard conversation to have with our kids. We're going to have to have it though. Why? Because you want to demoralise them? I hope not. You want to squish them a little bit? Put them in their place a little bit? Man, I hope not. But do you want to warn them? Do you want to help them see that this course of action, this path that they're on leads to hurt and destruction? 
They don't aim to shame, but they will warn. Next thing that is noticeable about a father or a mother is that they are worthy of imitation. Yes, we follow Jesus, right? We want to be more like Jesus. But here, Paul is able to say, verse 16, Therefore, I urge you to imitate who? He says me. Yes, elsewhere we know, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But fathers and mothers, spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, they're worthy of imitation. There was a man that was very influential in my life. He's gone to be with Jesus face to face now. His name was Vern Gurnett. In sharing time at our church, Vern rarely got up to share something. And maybe if you didn't know Vern, you could have thought, well, you know, does he have a dynamic, exciting, living relationship with Jesus? I'll tell you what, I used to fish with that man about three hours every week. I can guarantee you, he had a living, dynamic love for Jesus. Vern struggled to put three words together in front of any more of a group of people than three. (laughs) But he showed me what it looks like to be a man who loves Jesus. In a fishing boat, in his lounge room, working in his shed... And I want to be more and more like Jesus, but for most of the 45 years of my life, I've had a picture of Vern Gurnett in my mind. That when I get to be an old man, if I could look like Vern, I'd be happy. Spiritual fathers are worthy of imitation. Spiritual fathers are willing to get up close and personal Verses 18 and verse 19 of our text. Paul says, listen, some of you are arrogant as though I'm not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. Paul's willingness was to not lead from a distance, but to come up close and personal. There's a slight... (laughs) There's a slight little sort of uh, bravado in that, in that sentence, I think. Healthy bravado. Paul's basically saying a bit like what we need to hear today. Gee, it's so easy to criticise people when you're sitting in front of a keyboard. Let's have some more conversations face-to-face, eh? Instead of flaming people on a comment thread. If there are things to be said, then let's get together and say them. Paul was willing to do that. Because the next characteristic is fathers will lead with more than words. Verse 20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. Fathers lead with more than just words. The power of a life shared, of a conversation The next thing they do is they will bring correction when needed. But their default position is gentleness. Verse 21. 
Paul says, what do you want? Should I come to you with a rod? So here Paul's been talking about the opposition and some of the talk that's going on in the church in Corinth and there's a lot of slander going on about him. Paul says, listen, I'm going to come. That's no problem. And then we'll, we'll, we'll sit down and talk about this. But he says, but how would you like me to come? Should I come to you with a rod? Or in love? And a spirit of gentleness? You see, fathers will correct. They will. But their default is love and a spirit of gentleness. So here's the big idea again. We need leaders who are more like fathers and less like instructors. Three implications. If you are a disciple trying to follow Jesus on the narrow way, look for a spiritual father. Second one, if God has called you to lead others on this narrow way, then show the way, don't just point the way. Third implication, we all of us so easily forget this and we are in constant need of consistent reminders from gospel-shaped people in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. And you could have done that in a thousand different ways, and yet most consistently we see you come to us as a father as one who wants to draw relationally close. And we see in you our ultimate Father. And yet you have placed into our lives other men. You've placed into our lives women to be fathers and mothers to us spiritually. And Lord, for some of us, you've called us to be a father or a mother to others. To help walk with them as they follow Jesus. So, Lord, help us all to see this instruction from the letter to the church in Corinth, but by the Spirit, you're instructing us today to look for fathers and mothers to help us in our walk, to be fathers and mothers to others in their walk. And, Lord, help us each to commit today to being that person to help remind others what this looks like, even as we look to others to do the same for us. Lord, we need your help. We often so feel so weak and so fragile in this. And so by your Spirit, Lord, strengthen us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.